welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Hey there, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today on May 18th. Frank Stample, a.k.a. Postage, a.k.a. The Tramp Stamp, whatever you want to call me. Here with Scotty Dubs, Scott White, and the returning C-P-T. Chris, it's been a while. How's it going, man? Hey, guys. Yeah, we uh, sorry for missing most of last week's podcast. We had our uh, deadline for our fantasy football magazine, but I... Literally seconds before logging on to the call, sent the the last proof to the printer. Uh, so now I'm good. I'm focusing on baseball for the next probably two months, really, just all baseball. So wow. you guys got me. And all I'll, baseball you know, all the time. I'll be, you know, I'll still be, you know, worried about baseball after that. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully there's baseball to talk about. We're still waiting to hear back again. It is Monday, May 18th, so there's going to be some back and forth. This is going to take some time, obviously, but, you know, once a season is announced, we will have an emergency podcast there for you, so make sure, again, that you're subscribing here. Uh, Leave a little five-star Apple podcast review. Why not for your guys here, Fantasy Baseball Today? Scott, I'm a little sad today, not going to lie. The last dance is over. I I enjoyed it thoroughly because I was too young to watch Michael Jordan live, obviously. has been has there been a show that has genuinely made you sad when it ended? Oh yeah. What Every do you got? show. <laughs> Every show? <laughs> Every single show. Yeah. <laughs> I've never finished a show and been like, well, I'm relieved that's over. <laughs> Gosh. Don't have to do that anymore. I mean, I definitely have. I, I definitely there are some shows that you kind of watch out of a sense of obligation. And then by the time you get through it, you're just like, like. Season two of True Detective. Season one was so good that I gave season two the benefit of the doubt through the entire thing all the way to the end. And at the end of every episode, my wife, it was the only show we watched live. And at the end of every episode, my wife and I would turn to each other and be like, why are we spending our time doing this? And we did it every week and it never paid itself off. I think maybe, I don't know, it's a CBS show, so maybe I shouldn't say this, but I think maybe it was kind of that way with How I Met Your Mother. Because it just went on so long, probably about three seasons too long. And then the ending is notoriously bad. And it's just like, well, at least that's something I don't have to make time to do anymore. So, so there, I, I do remember having kind of an experience like that with that one. I do. I love that show and all CBS programming. That one. <laughs> Look at that model employee, Chris Towers, back on the show today on the show. Speaking of which, we are going to do MLB team word association, as many teams as we could possibly get to, so that's going to be a lot of fun. We have some news and notes, uh, basically just Cardinals news and notes, and then some of your emails later on, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. But some of those news and notes, St. Louis Cardinals, according to Mark Saxon of The Athletic, Miles Michaelis should be ready when, if, play resumes. Uh, Michaelis had this to say, everything's going well. If you look at June 10th-ish for spring training and early to mid-July, which has been reported, but we don't know if that's actually going to happen, as the point of return, from what I understand for a season, I think I should be ready to go. Michaelis was recovering from a strained flexor tendon in his right forearm, which is usually a precursor for something much worse, but he's opted to just rehab and not have any type of surgery. So it seems like that's going well. Uh, Something that also went well was his 2018, a 283 ERA. The pendulum swung all the way the other way, Scott, with a 4.16 ERA last season. As are you going to, I mean, I guess we haven't really talked about Michaelis, but he is one of these names, one of these other names that does benefit from the long layoff. Do you plan to move him back up the ranks at all? He seems like more of a head-to-head points starting pitcher than, than a roto guy for me. You know, I was doing a lot of massaging on my starting pitcher rankings on Friday. And Miles Michaelis was somebody who just kept getting moved down for other pitchers. I have Oof. no enthusiasm for Miles Michaelis this year. I feel like last year 
was uh, closer to what he, he probably should have been even in his first year. You know, the main thing he brings to the table is a great ground ball rate. Good control, too. So he, he's, like, really good on two of those three fit measurements. Um, but actually, he took kind of a step back as a ground ball pitcher last year, so the home runs were kind of a problem for him. And he's, he's the strikeout rate is so low. He's kind of like a poor man's uh, Marcus Stroman, I feel like. And Stroman himself, it's hard to get enthusiastic about him. A little easier in a points league. But then, like, the poor man's version of him, not so much. That is definitely fair. I can't argue with you uh, moving Miles Michaelis down the rankings. Some other news from the St. Louis Cardinals. Prospects Nolan Gorman and Matthew Liberator are not expected to make the expanded roster for the Cardinals. I, I think that's pretty much expected. I mean, Liberator is still a few years yeah. away. Uh, and Gorman, p- someone that people are very excited about. Another one where, you know, maybe he'll start in double A, but... Um, might not make sense for him to make it at least this season. And lastly, Will Laws of SI.com reports that Matt Carpenter is a natural candidate for the Cardinals DH job. I think that makes a lot of sense, which means Tommy Edmond could be their everyday third baseman. Helps all parties involved, Edmond, Carpenter, Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, hopefully in the outfield. So there's your... Your dose of St. Louis Cardinals updates here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Uh, I mentioned we were going to do MLB Team Word Association. I just want to jump right in. I want to try and get to as many teams as we possibly can. You know, if you haven't... Good. You got the two longest winded on with you, so this will go well. (laughs) Uh, Word Association, if you haven't played, it's pretty simple. It's somebody says a word. What's the first thing that pops into your head? For example, I say red. Chris Tower says... Blue. <laughs> All right. Did, now, I, did I get it right? Not, not necessarily what I was expecting, but I will, I, th- win? I will throw out a random team. I actually created this Wheel of Fortune type thing on a website, and it'll, it'll ah, ro- rotate spin, around. An actual spinning wheel? It is an actual spinning wheel. I, can, I guess I can okay. turn the volume up, and maybe you guys will hear it in the background. I don't know how well that will play out on the podcast, but it does make some noises, uh, but it, there is a wheel, and every time I'll spin the wheel, I will present the team, and then either Chris or Scott, I guess we'll go back and forth. We'll throw out a player and we'll talk about said player for a few minutes and we'll try and get to as many teams as we possibly can. Uh, I had this idea because recently on Twitter, people have been posting old school team logos, like mm, basketball teams. Yeah. And, and I saw the Florida Marlins was trending. Their logo was trending. So shout out to Chris. There's another one for I, you. I think it started with the Expos. The Expos. I um, yeah, I think that was the first one. And there's only one answer for the Expos. I yeah, it's Bartolo Colon. What? I, I honestly I Vladimir Guerrero. The first, the first one who comes to mind for, with that logo for me is Mike Lansing. I don't know why. He just Mark, seems like the embodiment of Expos baseball. Mark Grudzalonic. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, I think of him pretty high too. Yeah. So Chris Nick Johnson. Chris, when you see the old Florida Marlins logo, who do you think of? Oh, probably Hanley Ramirez. That's fair. Yeah, I thought of Miguel Cabrera, who's just the first name that pops into my head. I thought I, I think of Jeff Conine. Yeah, for me it would be like Hanley, Gary Sheffield, who only played there for like two and a half years, or Don Tre Willis. Those, but that's just because those are my three favorite players, probably. Well, Jose Fernandez, but he didn't wear the old logo. That he makes did. sense. He did yeah. for a little while. Nope. No. Nope. He okay. was only a Miami Marlin. I'll, I'll take your word for it. Uh, but anyway, uh, Anthony, someone who is a longtime supporter of FPT, he responded to one of my tweets and said, you guys should do this on the show. And I said, sure, why not? So here we are. This is how we have arrived at this destination. All right, I'm going to turn my volume up, see if you guys can hear the wheel spinning or not. Are you guys my, ready? My expectations for the audio portion of this are not very high. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, let's go with Chris first. Welcome him back to the show. Let's see what we got. Do you guys hear this? Nope. No, nope. not, <laughs> not even a little bit. All right, Chris, are you ready? Yes. Your team is the Oakland A's. Ricky Henderson. <laughs> are we supposed to do active players? Yes, active, active players. players. Listening. Active, active players, players. So we can talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can talk about Ricky I'm Henderson of, if you want to, but. <laughs> I mean, I always want to talk about Ricky Henderson. Okay, let's go with K. Riss Davis. Oof, uh, K-Riz Davis, one of my favorite values in fantasy baseball this season. Somebody who I wound up with on my Tout Wars team, ADP for K-Riz Davis right now, 169.2. 
seems like he's a little bit left for dead here in fantasy baseball this season. Maybe there's a chance he's starting to fall off 32 years old. I think last year was a product of him running into that wall in Safeco. I don't know what the, what it's, it might be like T-Mobile Park now in Seattle. Uh, yep. But he ran into the wall there trying to make a catch. He hurt his hip on May 5th, Cinco de Mayo actually last season. And he was never the same after that. So Scott, Chris Davis, someone who I love to target if you need home runs late in a roto draft. Even in a points league, he's not ideal because he strikes out a lot. But if he can get back to hitting 35 home runs at that point in the draft, he's a great value. Yeah, he's kind of a no-risk pick. And uh, I think you guys have had an influence on me because I took him for the first time in our 10-team roto mock draft that we recently did. That was the first time I've taken him the entire draft prep season. Um, You know, I'm not exactly an optimist. I feel like the drop-off doesn't clearly coincide with the injury, which makes me a little skeptical that you could pin it all on that. I mean, he didn't miss that much time with the injury, but of course it's possible it, it caused him to change his mechanics subtly, subtly and fall apart from there. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a profile that depends on him hitting a crap load of home runs. So anything less than a crap load, he's going to be pretty useless in fantasy. And that's what we discovered last year. And that's, that's a tightrope walk trying to, uh, produce that many year after year, especially as he's now entering his mid thirties here. So I'm not, I'm not a Chris Davis optimist, but I get, I get the lack of downside with where he's going and it could potentially pay big dividends. So one thing I I would, I would say and and maybe take issue with is um, he was on pace for 46 home runs on May 5th. Uh, The overall slash line was a little, uh, low it was just a 784 OPS. However, that was because he was hitting 229 with a 238 Babbitt. Uh, that was mostly the issue. Um, for, from that point on, he played 98 games. He basically played through the injury. From that point on, he was on a 21 homer pace with a 270, 217 batting average with a 274 Babbitt. So I do think a little bit of bad Babbitt luck explains most of uh, why he wasn't off to a resounding start. You know, he hit basically two home runs in his third game back from that injury. And then I don't think he hit another one, another home run for like 15 games. Uh, yeah, well, I, but the thing is he went before May 5th, he had gone three weeks without hitting a home run. It had been, and maybe he just happened to be cold and then he got hurt. Or maybe the decline had nothing to do with the hip injury. Yeah, I just, I don't know. He's been so consistent that it's really, it's, it's hard for me to, to look at it and say when he suffered that injury, especially if he hadn't suffered the injury, and yes, he was, he hadn't homered for three weeks. However, that happens sometimes. Like I, mm-hmm. I, would, I would guess that's one of the longer homerless streaks he's had in recent years. Um, but that just, yeah, sometimes that happens. So I, I don't know how much to put on that. He didn't, he homered once in the first 12 games of the 2018 season. So that doesn't concern me as much. I, I I really do think the hip is the, is the issue. Yeah. Maybe at 32 years old, he is starting to decline a little bit, but I think the change in batted ball data is something that you can draw to the hip injury. The fact that he couldn't elevate the ball as much as he usually does. Uh, last season, a 37% fly ball rate, whereas the previous four seasons before that, he was up over 40%. And in 2018, he had a near 49% fly ball rate. So I think that hip injury kind of affected his ability to lift the ball and do what he normally does. So Chris Davis is somebody that I do like a decent amount, uh, and I actually do trust as a bounce back. Scott, are you ready to spin the wheel? Let's spin the wheel. I'm spin, spin that wheel. Spin that wheel. And... Big money, big money. The Red Sox. Ah, oh, the Red Sox. I'm going to go... Uh, do I really have to go with the first name that came to mind because it was J.D. Martinez? Is that how we're going to do this? Or should yeah, pick probably. It's more probably interesting yeah, they're probably more interesting. Yeah, well, that's go. not the game, though. We don't have to talk about J.D. Martinez for long, do we? All right, Alex Verdugo, fine. 
All right, Alex Verdugo, ADP 229.8, came over in the Mookie Betts trade, uh, and we did have some some update recently from Alex Verdugo, and it sounds like things are trending in the right direction. Another player who should benefit from the long layoff here uh, if things get started back up. Yeah, actually, up. two weeks ago, I missed this completely, but two weeks ago, Alex Verdugo said he's 100% ready to play baseball. Yeah, Chris I, Chris, I know that you're very excited about Alex Verdugo, and I think there's a chance he can, maybe not his first season as a full-time player, but I think what his peak could look like is something similar to Michael Brantley. Highline drive rate, lots of contact, performed very well against left-handed pitching last year, just didn't get the opportunity to play every day because he was with the Dodgers. Yeah, I think he could be someone playing in Fenway Park, especially half his games, a park that uh, boosts Babbitt, more than any park in baseball besides course field. I think he could be someone who challenges for batting titles uh, playing there. And I think, you know, obviously the back injury tempers my 2020 hopes a little bit because you never want to see that with a young player. And those are the kind of injuries that can, can tend to linger and have uh, knock on effects. But if he had been fully healthy, coming into the 2020 season, I think he would have been a top 150 pick. Um, I think he's that kind of talent in that kind of situation. You know, the Red Sox won't be the number four offense in baseball, but they won't be that bad. You know, losing Mookie Betts hurts, but he's not their best hitter. Uh, you know, he's been that once or twice, but, you know, I think it's fair to say J.D. Martinez is probably their best hitter. And if what we saw from Rafael Devers live, like, this is still a team that has a, a handful of really, really high-profile bats, especially at the top of the lineup. So I, I think it's a perfect landing spot for his fantasy value, and I think something like uh, 295, 320 homers and 10 steals over the course of a full season uh, is entirely within the realm of possibility. And, and that, that sounds a lot like Michael Brantley. It does. I think that's a good comp. Uh, I'm most excited to draft him in deeper points leagues for Dugo. That is, you know, which isn't to say Brantley isn't more exciting in points leagues either, but specifically deeper points leagues, because I worry that park isn't going to be good for a left-handed hitter who already has a questionable power profile. And with, you know, if you can't pencil him in for 20 homers in today's environment, I think his, fantasy value is going to be largely a matter of where he hits in the lineup. And I suspect it'll be pretty low in the lineup to start out. Maybe he moves up as the season plays out, but I suspect it'll be pretty low at the start. So I do think it's a good batting average. It's going to be a low strikeout rate, of course, and that helps in those points leagues. But um, is he going to be a top 40 ish type outfielder? You know, unless he gets a lot of at-bats, a lot of run-scoring opportunities, I'm not sure the power is going to be there. It'll take some, it'll take some uh, improved elevation on the ball. And again, the, long, the odds are long in that park for a left-handed hitter. Well, it should help, Scott, that he plays in the American League East overall because he'll get Yankee yeah. Stadium, he'll get Camden, he'll get Rogers sure. Center, uh, and obviously just much better ballparks to hit, and we said that last week regarding the American League East, probably the best division in terms of ballparks for hitters to hit in. Uh, and as of now, roster resource has him projected to bat seventh, but it really wouldn't surprise me that if he got off to a good start, if they move him up to fifth, because as of now they have Mitch Moreland penciled in to bat fifth. So that wouldn't well, surprise look, me. I, I think at this point, I think Verdugo um, versus Benintendi, like who would I rather have batting at the top of the lineup? It'd be, It'd be Verdugo. Verdugo for me. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's but, fair. And then you can move well, Benintendi down and you know try and create some run-scoring yeah. opportunities for him. So, so I definitely see a path to him being a leadoff type hitter for the Red Sox. But you know, are they going? Just because I see it doesn't mean they will. Yeah, one thing, um, you know, and Benintendi seems like a natural comp for Verdugo, left-handed, strong contact profiles playing in a bad park for power that has held Benintendi back somewhat, but Verdugo did hit the ball harder than Benintendi last season. Uh, he's just a bigger guy in general. And so, you know, I don't think raw power is really the issue for him. Um, it's, he doesn't elevate the ball a ton, which that'll hold him back somewhat, but he also does hit 
uh, a decent amount of his fly balls out to left field, which is uh, a little better for uh, when you're trying, when you're talking about home runs doubles, he could another reason why he might be a points league stud because I, the doubles could be, you know, a guy on a 50 plus pace potentially. All right, Chris, are you ready for team number three? No. Okay, spin that wheel. I'm not good at this game. Spin that wheel. The Mariners. Oh my God. For for some (laughs) reason. Okay, I just, I need to explain what just happened to me. I just, well, I need to explain what happened to me. A name came to mind. Um, yeah, it looked like your brain kind of shut off for a second. Was it, well, no, was it, it Dave was just, Henderson? I was so offended at the name that my brain came up with because it was Franklin Gutierrez. <laughs> what? <laughs> and I have no idea why that's the answer, but uh, the actual answer would be Yusei Kikuchi. Oof. Ah. Who we so have you not say. really talked about. I, I, don't, I don't know if his name has been mentioned at all on this podcast since like May of last season. Oh, I'm sure we talked about him during spring training because he was he was he was getting it was a rhetorical flourish, Scott. Okay, sorry, I took you literally. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Yeah, no, he was he was a guy who was getting some hype this spring. Forget last spring, this spring because he showed up throwing like three miles per hour harder with his fastball, and Mm -hmm. a lot of it had to do with. Um, you know, obviously they're on a very different schedule in Japan. They only start once a week and, uh, they throw more in between starts and, you know, he wanted to adapt more of a, uh, a routine that he was used to from over there. And he convinced the Mariners coaching staff to let him do that. And I don't know if that entirely explains it, but yeah, he was throwing harder. You gain that much velocity on your fastball. I mean, that, that has the potential to be uh transformative certainly and he's supposed to have a good slider it didn't really play up last year nothing really played up for last year was a total disaster but there's a reason why he was so hyped coming over from japan and got a multi-year deal and all of that and you know what do you have to lose at starting pitcher is is the thing you get to a point in those starting pitcher rankings where like more likely than not, everybody you draft, you're probably going to drop for somebody else down the line anyway. So yeah. Kikuchi doesn't seem like any worse of a gamble than than anyone else once you reach that stage of the draft. Yeah, and the issue for him last year really was just, you know, he started off averaging about 94 miles per hour with his fastball on his first handful of starts. But, you know, from that point on, it dropped to really the 92 range. And, um, you know, he worked with driveline baseball this offseason, which is, you know, generally considered to be one of the better uh, places if you want to simplify your mechanics and develop a new pitch. And yeah, it, it, it doesn't sound like it really increased his maximum velocity. You know, last year he hit 97 a few times with his fastball. Um, I think the, the thing we're looking for is more of that consistency and, and the reports out of spring where that he was regularly hitting 95 rather than maxing out. And yeah, uh, the slider has been, you know, in the high 90s and even hitting as high as 91 at times. So, you know, that's where um, where I think that the the advantage and, and the key to any kind of breakout would be for Kikuchi. Yeah, Kikuchi was terrible last season. His first season in Major League Baseball, a 5.46 ERA, 1.52 whip. Uh, the strikeouts per nine, 6.46. So really did not do a whole bunch of anything last season. But somebody that, you know, in deeper leagues, deeper sleeper, uh, Kikuchi, you know, ADP 396.3. Friday, I highlighted some starting pitchers who made adjustments last season, and I also highlighted Justice Sheffield as someone who made an adjustment this Mm -hmm. spring. I easily could have included Yusei Kikuchi in that mix, and I do like both of those guys, both Kikuchi and Justice Sheffield, just as late-round targets as guys who have upside the reasons you yeah. mentioned uh, improve velocity for Kikuchi this spring, and he changed his mechanics and everything. So I, I think there is a little bit something there, especially at his ADP. Priorities among sleeper pitchers, like we're talking behind like Mitch Keller, Dylan Cease, yeah. behind yeah, for the sure. Astros duo, Rakiti and James. Uh, but you know, you you get below that, you get you start getting into like the J Hap 
type sleepers. I think you could think about Kikuchi at that point. I do think the the upside for Kikuchi is probably not dissimilar to Urquidy. You know, it's not the huge strikeout potential of Mitch Keller and Dylan Cease and Nate Pearson will throw in there now. Um, yeah. But, you know, Arkady seems safer. But in terms of the upside, I think that's a that's a fair comp. All right, we have more team word association. We're going to get to right after this quick break. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash businessgoldcard. All right, we're back. We just talked about the Seattle Mariners and Yusei Kikuchi, and that means, Scott, you are ready to spin that wheel. Are you ready? I'm ready. Spin it. We are spinning the wheel, and it lands on the Milwaukee Brewers. Ah, the Milwaukee Brewers, and of course that player that's so fun to talk about uh <laughs> lorenzo kane that's someone we don't talk about much lorenzo yeah. kane adp 181.6 getting up there a little bit in age uh is lorenzo kane missed some time last year he's 34 years old now at this point played 148 games 11 home runs 18 steals with a 260 batting average just a 697 ops that was his lowest since 2013. So, Scott, I mean, was this the beginning of the end for Lorenzo Kane, or do you think he just got nicked up a little bit too much and that affected his production last year? Because there's a lot of people that like Lorenzo Kane as a bounce-back candidate because he's going as late as he is entering the season. Look, when a guy who's 34 years old turns in the worst season in recent memory, I assume it's probably the beginning of the end. But his defensive, you know, he still graded very high defensively. So it wasn't a clear loss of athleticism there. His strikeout rate was still low. Um, it looks like just by the traditional way we measure these things that he had bad luck on balls in play. He ran a lot less. Um, you know, so... I could definitely see the case that he bounces back just because you know it seems like he had bad luck on balls in play. The, the issues for me, the biggest issues for me, and why I'm not totally going crazy for him in drafts is because of that decline in stolen bases. He went from 30 to 18, and it was only 18 out of 26. It was not a good rate. Uh, how much is he going to run from this point forward, a guy in his mid-30s? Not super optimistic about that, but of course it's possible. And in the range he's going, you're not going to find many bankable steals threats anyway. The other thing I'm worried about with him is there was some talk of, uh, because he's at an age that he is now, giving him more frequent time off and using Avisal Garcia in center field in his place. Now, how much of that was just, here's a way to get Garcia, Braun, and Smoke in the lineup at the same time, which isn't going to be an issue anymore with the introduction of the DH, and how much of it was genuinely, this guy's getting older, he needs more rest. I'm not sure. But if if Kane isn't playing as regularly, and he's not running as much, it almost doesn't matter what happens to the batting average. I don't think he's going to make a big enough impact in fantasy. Man, obviously Garcia playing center field would be really rough. So yeah. I, but the I Brewers don't, don't do care that. about defense. They've proved that the past couple of years. Travis Shaw at second base, Mike Moustakas at second base. They basically sacrifice defense and 
just try and get the best lineup they possibly well, can. At, at second base, I, you know, I, I think that's something we see more around baseball as teams are willing to sacrifice second base defense um, because with, you know, better shifting uh, approaches and then, you know, more uh, effective predictive analytics, you can kind of cover for a lot of that, but you can't do that quite as much in center field. But, you know, I, the Rays gave him 10 starts in center field last year for what it's worth. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it seems like it won't work out, but you know, the big thing for, for Kane is it really hinges on whether he can stay healthy, I think. And, and that's not just, you know, can he stay in the lineup? It's, you know, last year he got 620 something plate appearances. He played quite a lot. It was just, he was playing through, a wrist injury, which I think explains most of the dip in uh, his batting stats, but he also played through ankle and knee injuries throughout the season. And so um, that seems like a sign of a guy who's just kind of breaking down, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it will be the case in 2020. And so I, I do like him a lot as a bounce back candidate. Um, the fact that he didn't decline all that much defensively, if at all, um, you know, that does seem to indicate that there is some athleticism still there. Yeah, for Lorenzo Cain last year, the outs above average, still 99th percentile, his outfield jump, 79th percentile, expecting ba- expected batting average, 88th percentile. So he was still up there in some stat cast metrics, uh, which proved there might be something left in the tank for Lorenzo Cain. I I think he's somebody who, if we're talking about a 162-game season, could get to 12 home runs, 20 steals. I think that's still doable for him with a 280-plus batting average. I I think that's all fair. For what? For how long of a season? If it it were a full season. I think he can... Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. 10 to 12 home runs, 20 steals, 280-plus, which is a solid I think he could do more than that. It's just... You have to be nervous when a guy this old has a season that underwhelming. That that takes that big of a step back. All right, Chris, Mr. Franklin Gutierrez, what do you have left in the tank? Are you ready? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Spin that wheel. We are spinning. What do we got? Where are we landing? We are going with the let's go Mets. Chris is in deep thought. Man, I just like... <laughs> Because the, the first one that came to mind was J.D. Davis. And I don't want to talk about J.D. Davis. <laughs> we can't do that. I'm sure Scott does. <laughs> the second one who came to mind was Noah Syndergaard. That one we can't talk yeah, about. It has no waste. bearing on the 2020 season. So we're going to talk thinking. about the third one was Edwin Diaz. Ah, of course. A Chris favorite. Edwin Diaz, indeed a Chris favorite. ADP at 120.6. And Edwin Diaz was somebody who I was completely off of two years ago. And he made me look silly, absolutely silly. Uh, and then last year was more of what I was worried about uh, for Diaz entering 2018. But you basically were given in the past two seasons his floor and his ceiling. His ceiling, 196 ERA, 079 whip, 57 uh, saves in 2018. Then last season, 559 ERA, 138 whip, 26 saves, struggled to throw a slider. Uh, talked about the change in baseball. Chris, as much as you want to like him, the Mets do have some great options behind him should he falter. Uh, so there, there is a level of concern when it comes to Edwin Diaz. In theory, they have some great options. They've got Dylan Batances coming back from a tor- uh, partially torn Achilles. They've got Seth Lugo. Who- Seth Lugo, who is good, but like I don't think using him as your closer is getting the best value from him. Uh, I, I don't know, maybe last year revealed some uh, un, unforeseen flaw in Edwin Diaz that will, uh, you know, carry him through, carry through the rest of his career and derail uh, what looked like a very promising career. But this wasn't like he lost five miles per hour on his fastball. You know, this was just he couldn't grip his slider. And the slider still got a ton of swing and misses. It was still one of the best swings and miss pitches in baseball. The problem with it was that he gave up like nine home runs with his slider. 
And that's really bad. You don't want to give up nine home runs with your slider. But it's also nine pitches over the course of 67 appearances or something. Like, we're not talking about, uh, you know, a fundamental issue. You know, we know uh, at this point, it's 2020, we know how fluky home run totals can be when you're talking about 200 innings, let alone 60-ish innings. And the issue for him really was the home runs. Uh, you know, there was a, an increase in walk rate as well, but for the most part, it was just he couldn't keep the ball in the yard. I'm pretty much willing to write off last year. Uh, I'm not expecting 2018 again, but I wasn't expecting 2018 in 2019. I was fading him hard. Uh, the, well, not this time last year, but, you know. Yeah, before the season. In the before times, 15 yeah. months ago. Um, because you don't want to pay for last year's best reliever, especially if it was a breakout. That's just, that's why I'm not drafting Liam Hendricks this year. But um, that doesn't mean I don't think he was very talented. I still think he's very talented. And I think he's being discounted too much. Yes, he may lose the job. Yes, he may have that issue again. Um, I think the most likely outcome is you're getting a very, very good reliever for um, a huge discount. I, I wonder, okay, so he threw his slider about a third of the time. And of course, the home runs did the most damage. He also had a 297 batting average against on the slider. It was up from 121 the year before, 121 to 297. I mean, 297 on, a, on an off-speed pitch is awful, uh, no matter who you are. Yeah, and. But- but the thing there is he only had 22 hits allowed on the pitch. Nine okay. of them were home runs. Nine of them so, were. Okay, yeah, I was, that's what I was curious about. Okay. Um, yeah, I think we'll know pretty early on with Edwin Diaz whether he's going to bounce back or not. If It was six home runs, sorry. So okay, 22 hits, 16 of them were not home runs. If he blows a couple saves the first week of the season... Um, particularly if it's home runs allowed on the slider, it's probably done. Probably done, right? If he makes it through that first, those first couple weeks, you know, gets four saves, four or five saves. You know, certainly if he makes it through that whole first month, it, it, you know, it probably he probably has his leash back at that point and can afford a blown save here or there. So it's just. I don't know if that's a good sign, if, if that's good news or bad news. The fact that we'll find out pretty early whether or not we can count on him to be the Mets' save source this year. Um, you know, it just depends on the way you look at it. I, I think since the investment in him is still fairly high, it's bad news. But, you know, I, I think that's ultimately going to be the way it plays out. And and it, I think it's worth saying that. My expectation, at least, is that every closer, besides maybe three or four of them, is going to have a much shorter leash than they would in the past because every game lost in 2020, you know, assuming we get that 82-game season, counts for more than a game lost in previous years. Your margin for error is going to be much slimmer. And so this is something where when you're talking about the 2020 season, like the shorter schedule is bad news for the better teams because it introduces more variance. It introduces less predictability and you're not going to be able to say, well, we'll give him a month because a month is a third of the season now. Whereas in the past, you know, a month is a sixth of a season and maybe 10 appearances for a reliever. Um, So I, I think all relievers are more risky, which to me, sort of flattens the the curve a little bit. Uh, not maybe not the best. Interesting uh, choice of words. Yeah, there. <laughs> uh, but flattens the distribution. Sorry, of um, of expectations in terms of who might lose their job, which I think helps Edwin Diaz. Yeah, if that makes sense, relative to the rest of the closers. Yeah, it seems as though I've done a one eighty on Edwin Diaz, at least comparing our rankings, Scott, because in our Roto relief pitcher rankings, I have Edwin Diaz ninth and you have him 14th. So 
I guess I'm a little bit more optimistic about him, but it's, you know, once you get outside the top 10, I mean, there's all these relievers you kind of have some kind of concern about. Craig Kimbrell, uh, Rysel Iglesias. For me, I have Liam Hendricks outside my top 10, so I feel like oh, you yeah. can... I got I had Iglesias buried, man. I got him 25th. <laughs> oh, gosh. Nothing to do with that guy anymore. <laughs> oh, man. That, I, I think what we have a little bit of a rankings debate on Rysel Iglesias coming up soon, so we got to make that happen. Uh, but, Scott... Are you ready to spin that wheel? Yeah, let's spin it. Let's spin it. Let's see where we land. And it is on the most fun team in baseball this year, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Ah, the Pittsburgh Pirates. First name that came to mind was Colin Moran. Is that good enough? No, I probably need a different <laughs> for, one. For our NL only players out there. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Um. All right, Chris Archer. Oof, Chris Archer, man. This is another one. I yeah. feel like you can just let Chris go and he could just, you know, do a whole podcast on Chris Archer alone. The ADP is at 270.8 when it comes to Chris Archer. And it feels like years now that we've been waiting for Archer to bounce back. Oh, but he's been working on his changeup in the spring. Well, we've heard that once. You've heard it a million times. Uh, the <laughs> okay, ERA. The, the changeup doesn't matter. The changeup The no, changeup didn't matter when he was good. The changeup won't matter now. It's all about the slider. Uh, it just comes you know down what? to the slider for Chris Archer. It's his best pitch by far. The fastball is not a good pitch while, you know, he throws it decently hard. He can't really command it. It gets hit hard. The ERA for Archer has been over four for four straight seasons. Last year was the season I finally bought in because it was the first time that he was barely a top 30 starting pitcher. So I was like, all right. I'll take the crack on Chris Archer uh, in 2019 because he wasn't, you know, the fourth, fifth round pick that he had been basically every other year leading up to last season. It did not work out, Chris. It was uh, it was quite bad for Chris Archer, but I have a feeling uh, you think that there's an opportunity for a bounce back here. So he the the Pirates got rid of race series, and I think that's where it starts because one of the things the race series uh, had a lot of success with in his time when he was successful as the Pirates pitching coach was in uh, simplifying a lot of pitchers approaches and in specifically getting them to throw a lot of sinkers low in the zone. And what that does is creates more contact and preferably more weak contact. Uh, you know, I think the, the prime example for this would be Ivan Nova who totally turned his career. I mean, I don't, I don't even think there was a turn his career around before that he was not, fantasy viable and he had a couple of really solid years with the Pirates. Chris Archer is not a sinker thrower. Uh, he has experimented with it in the past and it just has never worked out for him. He is a guy who was probably ahead of the curve uh, in terms of where baseball has gone in pitcher approaches. He was high fastballs, sliders out of the zone. And about halfway through last season, he ditched the sinker and saw much better results. Over his last 12 starts in specific, he had a 465 ERA. Yes, that's bad. But he had a 383 FIP, uh, a more manageable 1.35 home run per nine, uh, and was an elite strikeout pitcher. You know, it was around 30% strikeout rate. I think with Ray Searage gone, with a more analytically driven approach to the Pirates pitching staff as a whole, I think he's going to really be a useful player. He's and he's not going to be an ace. Don't expect that. And I know a lot of you guys probably listening just groan when you hear Chris Archer's name because he's burned so many people. I've said it many times. You should have be like the guy from Memento. You need to just not have a memory, especially when it comes to players' names. Chris Archer has burned you, so you hate the name Chris Archer. Well, don't care about the name. This is a guy who has a ton of strikeout ability, uh, will not be super helpful in ERA or whip, but hopefully will be manageable and should be, in, in my opinion, a viable fantasy starting pitcher as a result. Yeah, I just feel like the upside might be just viability at this point. I think the K per nine will be very high. It was very high when he ditched, ditched the sinker last year. Uh, it was 12.3 per nine over his last nine starts. Very high. Um, they were short starts with a lot of walks, with an ERA well over four, and he's on one of the worst teams in baseball. 
So what is he going to give you? I, I don't think very many wins. I don't think a good ERA or whip. The strikeout total should be decent, but if he's you know if he's so inefficient that he's rarely going more than six innings, it's even the strikeout total might be kind of underwhelming compared to the rate. It might be like a Joey Lucchese situation, I feel like, for Chris Archer next year. And that has that has its uses. Um, it's it's not somebody I'm going to be excited to draft next or this upcoming season. Yeah, I still feel like Chris. What's the best case scenario for Chris Archer? I still feel like it's probably a, a, an ERA around four, a one I, two yeah, five I, WHIP. I definitely disagree that the best case scenario is an ERA around four. Like, it's just that he hasn't been better than that for so long. Sure, but I, I think the biggest part of that was a really bad approach, and I think he's going to have a better approach this year. And I, I mean, you're talking about best case scenario. I think best case scenario is probably a three five ERA. It would require things going right, um, but it's it's not at all out of the realm of possibility. Doesn't I it give you pause? Likely, doesn't it give you pause that the Rays couldn't even figure him out? Who are I mean, regarded had, as one of those organizations who can normally figure these types of things out? It was a pretty good fantasy option with the Rays. But he, he was, but his ERA even then, I, re- yeah, I remember his ERA wasn't great. His, it was his, every year we would look at the XFIP and, and sure. the peripherals. He was pretty and good say, in the way Trevor Bauer was pretty good last year. Oh, where, gosh. You know, top 30, top 40 type starting pitcher. That was, that's, un- that's unfair. How was it unfair? Trevor Bauer was pretty awful last year. Where did he finish in the rankings? He was I don't know. He threw a ton of innings, but he had like a 4-6 ERA. Trevor that, Bauer was up. Oh, I can't figure this out because I'm like not going to try and count down the list. But Chris Archer in 2016 and 2017 had a 4-0 ERA. Uh, that was in, in a league where the the league ERA was about four. Uh, so it was about average. Um, the, the whip, probably, again, about average. He wasn't helping you in those, but he wasn't hurting you a ton. It wasn't great for a fantasy starting pitcher. But given the amount of strikeouts he had, it was fine. I, I think that's what I expect this year. I, I expect a return to that, which is a very useful fantasy pitcher. Chris, do you have access to my rankings? Because I, I think that you moved Chris Archer up my rankings without me knowing. <laughs> no, no, that's that's not something I I probably could do it, but uh, it would require. I don't remember even how I would. Scott has ranking. Scott has Archer SP87. I have him SP65. I don't remember being excited about Chris Archer. So uh, speaking of massaging the rankings, uh, Scott, I think I got to go in there and massage my own rankings a little bit as well. Um, you do that. Yeah, so I, I, I've got to move Chris Archer down a little bit there because I'm not the biggest fan. I think he should probably be closer to that 80 range. I like guys... I like Avaldi and Matt Shoemaker more than Chris Archer I just, at this point. I don't understand that. <laughs> As is the way I would put that. Because like Matt Shoemaker had like five good starts last year. And his career has Better been than a Chris lot, Archer. lot worse than Chris. I mean, Chris Archer probably had a good five-start stretch last year too. Uh, Chris Archer's career has been a lot better than Matt Shoemaker. Nate Evaldi is just another one. I just, I just can't quit I, him. It's the two like years him. ago. I, I like. A, I saw. I think Evaldi could get back to what he was doing two years ago, and that would make no, him I, very viable. I like Nathan Evaldi, but I think it's a similar case to Chris Archer. You look at his career. Uh, outside of one season, he was always a disappointment. He was always someone who had uh, high ERAs, low strikeouts. Like Chris Archer's track record is much stronger than Nathan Evaldi's. Fair, but he's also been worse for longer, I feel like. Mm. ERA over five last year, Chris. Yeah, we're kind of giving Nate Evaldi credit for not pitching much the last two years, I feel like, in that. Is that wrong? Yeah. Okay. I mean, he had a 599 ERA last year. I, I think the longer you go off in the wrong direction, the less confidence I have in you turning it uh, around. I mean... Nate Devaldi had a 426 ERA in 2018, 12 start and 10 starts with the Rays. 
had a 333 ERA in 12 starts with the Red Sox. That's really good. He was very good with the Red Sox. It's basically been 12 good starts in his career, though. Like 2013, he had a low-ish ERA, but the the peripherals were really bad. Uh, yeah, no, give me give me Chris Archer over Nathan Evaldi. That's not to say I don't like Nathan Evaldi, but yeah, no, I mean I have Chris Archer over Evaldi too. I don't think I like Evaldi. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> All right. Um, agree to disagree. MLB yeah. team word association. We got to a whopping six teams. So <laughs> maybe we can revisit this again at some point, but I do have a few things that I want to promote and then we'll get to some of your questions. Uh, first, a reminder to everybody that golf is back. Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady, and Peyton Manning are battling it out on the links this weekend. Join the first cut podcast all week long as they preview the match champions for charity prop bets, course breakdown, plenty of goat talk, and more. The guys are hitting that record button for their instant reaction pod as soon as the final putt drops on Sunday. So how about you join them by downloading and subscribing to the First Cut Golf Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Again, that's the First Cut Golf Podcast, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Also want to remind everybody that we have a podcast intro competition currently taking place here on Fantasy Baseball Today. You have until Friday, May 29th to submit an intro for the pod. Keep it between 30 and 60 seconds. No copyrighted music or drops. I'll choose the three best and we'll vote right here on the podcast. Uh, The winner will earn an entry into one of our podcast leagues. And last but not least... I've been slacking with the team name Tuesday, admittedly, so send some of those bad boys in. We'll chat about them on tomorrow's show, Fantasy Baseball at CBSI.com. Our first question, this one comes from Angel Vasquez. Hey guys, do you think that teams will go to a four-man rotation considering the schedule is shortened and there will be more of an emphasis to win as many games as possible? Chris, this is kind of what you were talking about earlier with the, the leash for relievers being shorter do you think that we could potentially see a four-man rotation as well? No, I, I don't think there's any chance we'll see a four-man rotation. I don't. I actually don't hate the idea if it was like four-man rotation, have them throw 80 pitches every time, but I don't think that's what we're going to see. I think we're going to see reduced workloads for starting pitchers overall, not increased ones. I think we'll see, um, especially the first month, we're going to see a lot of guys not – not even getting to 80 pitches because um, one, one thing we're seeing in, in KBO right now has been a rash of, of early season injuries. And that's going to be a real, real concern uh, with guys starting up their training, stopping it, and then starting it back up again with a brief spring training. Um, so no, I, I'm, I'm expecting less work overall from starters, maybe not from your elite pitchers, but, certainly from everyone else. Yeah, that was something we mentioned last week too, where if an injury strikes once spring training starts back up, I mean, it's magnified because it's a shorter season. So something that would normally mm-hmm. be, you know, a two-week in IL stint that, you know, two weeks out of 162-game season, all right, that's fine. We can live with that. But in an 81-game season or 82 games, whatever it might be, that's going to be, there's going to be much more emphasis on those injuries and they're going to hurt a lot more in fantasy Uh, this season. So just something to keep in mind. This next one comes from Ryan in Omaha. This is a question mostly for Frank, but also kind of for Scott, uh, because apparently you have outlawed Sparps or RPASPs in one of your 10-team leagues as well, Scott. So uh, Frank, you mentioned a few times that you've outlawed the Sparps and RPASPs in your home league. Um, My daily lineup 14-team head-to-head points league has done the same. You've also mentioned that you allow only closers in the RP spots. Does this truly mean you only allow closers, or is it any type of RP? He goes on to ask ask about bulk relievers being allowed in our RP spots. And at least in my league, I can't speak for everybody, but in mine, we do not allow um, followers, bulk relievers. It's It's just... Closers and setup men, I believe you get two points for a hold in, in my points league, and it's five points for a save. So you can have setup guys, you can have uh, closers in there, but you can't have bulk relievers, something like what the Rays have used recently. We have outlawed them. Uh, Scott, I don't know about for your, how your league handles the bulk relievers. Well, so you're talking about like Ryan Yarbrough, right? Um, yeah. 
that gets into a sticky situation because how do you know going into the appearance whether he's technically going to start or relieve and are the points removed if he starts? I'm, I'm not exactly sure how that would work. Yeah, um, no, that's a fair question. It, it, you know, actually, it hasn't become an issue because we limit team. Every team is limited to seven starts in a given scoring period. There's a weekly start limit. But I just realized we actually did away with that uh, that rule that you could only start true relievers in the relief pitchers play. You can you can start Sparps there now. Just there's rarely incentive to do it because you can get seven starts just from your five starting pitcher spots. One so you'd, thing you'd rather that, have the potential for a guy to get saves there. One thing that you can do um, in a CBS commissioner league is uh, adjust the scoring based on the position that player is played in. I'm pretty sure at least um, you can, you so can like subtract points for game started. You could do things like that. Right. But I think you could make it so that it's just for relief pitchers. Let's get I'm those sparps sure. out of here. Anti spark so, life. Yeah. What you could do is like, yeah. Rem- lower points for game start or, um, boost the value of a save or a hold and do like negative points for innings. So that way the, the overall effect could be, um, could be the same. So that, that's something just to keep in mind. Fair enough. This next one's from RBS CVY two, three, two, one. That was fun. Hey guys, I play in a 16 team, 30 man roster dynasty head to head points league with salaries, $260 budget and every player goes up $1 each year. Would you make this trade? Give up a $16 Miguel Sano to get a $7 Dustin May. What do you think, Scott? I don't think I would make that trade. 16 team league, $16 seems like a pretty good price for Sano, and it. I'm not sure May is going to get good enough, fast enough to justify, justify the price tag he's already at. I'm, I, I think there would need to be a bigger gap in the salaries there for me to be tempted to do that. You know, Scott, I just looked up our top 300 rankings in head-to-head points leagues. We have Miguel Sano in exactly the same spot. Wow. One, one Player number 112 worth $9 in an auction. Interesting. Wow, I can't believe you guys are copying each other's rankings. <laughs> I, I guess Scott has a, a better claim that I copied his rather than he copied mine, considering his were were published first. Uh, Chris, how about you? Would you uh, would you rather have Miguel Sano sixteen bucks or Dustin May seven dollars? Yeah, Sano there. Sano, yeah, I would agree with that. It's yeah, well, I, I a little bit higher than you want, but I he's he's more of a difference Dustin maker May. than Dustin May. Yeah, that's the thing I struggle with Dustin May is I'm not sure if he's really got fantasy ace potential. And I mean, obviously there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. Every single pitcher technically has fantasy ace potential, but you know, I don't, I don't know if the most likely or, you know, third most likely outcome for him is he's a top 12 perennial starting pitcher for fantasy. Plus how long is it going to take the Dodgers to give him an opportunity? I mean, we've waited this long and it seems like we're finally getting Julio Urias I, I don't know if I'm saying and, I keep messing and up. The Urias, thing but. about it is he might not be in line for 150 plus innings until 2022 now. Yeah. 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 Cause I mean, obviously not this year. And I mean, he did throw like 160 la- or maybe 140 last year. Um, but still it's the Dodgers. They'll, they'll be safe with everyone. Keep Miguel Sano. This final one comes from Max in Chicago. So, Martin, Pryor, Mulaney, and Kasher. Mm, that sound like comedians, right? That is correct. Uh, that was I just assumed Steve it was Mark Martin, Pryor. Richard, Steve Martin, Richard Pryor, John Mulaney, and I have no idea who Kasher is. I don't know who Kasher is either. No. So, I looked this up, and apparently it's Moshe Kasher. Okay. I don't, I don't know anything about that, but they are all comedians. Uh, speaking of comedians, Chris might consider himself one. 
uh, based on this email. Whoa. <laughs> After the 2020 MLB season, is Chris going to give all season results half weight and change his slogan to 162 game samples are more predictive than 81 game samples? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's basically you know, what you say now. Joke. It is a joke, but also, yeah, man, throw 2020 stats away. For the most part, this is going to be a weird season. We've talked about it a lot. You're not going to be able to take very much out of this season at all. And if you want to argue with me, go back and look at who was leading things in through 81 games last season. And it'll tell you that weird things can happen in weird things can happen in a full season, uh, let alone a half season. Half season is going to be, it's going to be nuts. We're going to have like, I don't know if, you know, Luis Arias is going to hit 394 like Tony Gwynn did in 1994. It's going to be weird stuff. Yeah, this whole season, the 2020 season, should just be sponsored by Stranger Things. It should be like the official season of the show Stranger Things, and that'll be uh, what's going to happen here in 2020. But that'll wrap it up for today here on a Monday Fantasy Baseball Today. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.